0: Oh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Crosspoint. I'm so glad you're here. And I, I want to just take a moment at the beginning of, this, uh, of our time together. Just ask you to take, take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know what your situation is, what you've been through. Even maybe this morning on your way to church, um, there's all these stresses, all these things going on. So let's just take a moment. We'll bow our heads, close our eyes. And put, you know, whatever is on your heart, would you just give it to the Lord? Just take a moment. Just you and God. Jesus, we love you, Lord God. Father, Son, Spirit, we worship you. We thank you for this time of year, Lord. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your your kindness to us. That while we were still in our sin, you came for us. You died for us because you love us, Lord. And it brings you great glory for us to follow you and serve you and make disciples for you. So God, I pray that you would transform us, that you do all that you want to do in us. Holy Spirit, you have all power and authority here. We welcome you. We give you all the influence, Lord, to do all you want to do in us. And I pray for every heart, Lord, for those that are here this morning and they're believing and they're yearning and longing for more of you. And I pray for those of you maybe that are here this morning and and you're far from God. Maybe your heart's not in a place where you're believing. Maybe you're listening on the internet or on the radio, and it's, it's difficult for you to believe right now. Lord, I pray for those people that somehow through your word, you would speak to them through your spirit, you would speak to, him, to them all that they need to hear. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it's Christmas time. Are you guys ready? Does it feel like Christmas? Christmas? Yeah? No? Yeah. It's funny how every year it's like it comes before you realize it. And it's, it, it's something you wait for. And especially as kids, you wait for Christmas, right? You wait and you wait and you wait for Christmas. I remember when I was a kid, it was Christmas Eve about 35 years ago. So this would have been 1982. Some of you were around back then. Some of you were... St- retired back then (laughs) some of you weren't even a a thought back then but I remember I was so tired of waiting for Christmas and I had some friends that on Christmas Eve got to open some presents some of their Christmas presents and so it made sense to me that I should take this case to my mom and I, so I said, Mom, so-and-so gets to open their, some of their gifts today. So it's only fair that I get to open some of my gifts today. And she said, Nope. <laughs> and so we had a very logical and well-thought-out discussion about that. Actually, it wasn't at all. I was five. So I complained. I... I, 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 I got upset. I I gave her every argument I could for why you should allow me to open some presents today, because I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And you know what I ended up doing? I realized my mom just isn't seeing, she's not seeing clearly. (laughs) She doesn't understand. And I need to do something drastic here. So I went into my room, I packed all of my valuables, mainly GI Joe guys. I put them in my little blanket and tied it up like a hobo, found a stick, put it through the stick and I put it on my shoulder and I said, mom, I'm running away. And the five-year-old Ben said, mom, I'm running away. And my mom, being the wise, gracious person she, she is, she said, oh, well, well, did you bring some food and something to drink? Because you'll get hungry and thirsty out there. And I was like, wait, why is she helping me? <laughs> this isn't having the effect I was wanting it to. So she helped me pack my stuff and I, I ran away. And I, I made it probably a few hundred yards, and I went out to this field by our house where, you know, there's now a whole bunch of houses over there. But but I went out there and I had my little my little uh, hobo backpack. And at that point, I was gone maybe 20, 30 minutes. I made it 20, 30 minutes. And I realized, it's Christmas Eve. I'm an idiot. I'm really going to be that willful. And you know, I just remembered, I have presents just waiting for me. All I have to do is wait just a few more hours, and I can open them. And so like the prodigal son, I returned, and it was just one of those moments. I came back to my family. You know, what would my life have looked like if I hadn't done that? No, I'm joking. I don't think they would have let me get that far. But I just thought, you know, when we're waiting for Christmas, do you remember being a kid? And some of you are still kids at heart. And you just, you can't wait for this time of year. I know a friend of mine, he's a pretty macho guy, I'm not going to mention his name, but he starts listening to Christmas music in the summertime. Right, Mike? <laughs> you know, he just loves it, he can't wait for this time to roll around, and, and you know, we, we, that's fine. This morning, though, the, the message God's put on my heart to speak to you, I think what God wants to remind us is about waiting for Christmas. Alright, everybody say that with me. Waiting for Christmas. Waiting for Christmas. And we're going to look really quick. In the Old Testament, you see Christmas come on the scene very early on. Did you know that? If you've got your Bibles, open it to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the story where Adam and Eve, they turn from God. God gives them one command. Everything was awesome. Everything was wonderful in this garden, and God gives him one command, and he says, you can do anything you want. You can eat any fruit that you want, but there's one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree, and you know this story. Satan comes in the form of a serpent serpent and tempts the the woman, and the woman gives the fruit, she eats the fruit, and then she gives it to her husband, who is standing right there, just doing nothing, and the husband grabs the fruit, and he eats it too, and immediately they realize they're naked for the first time ever. They felt shame, and they felt fear, so they cover themselves, they hide themselves, and you know the story, but in verse 15, there's a very just amazing passage as God is dealing out the judgment and honestly it's the consequences of their sin he said you will surely die and it's not God being a punk right it's not God saying I'm going to punish you because you you know it's not God being vengeful or anything these are the this is the consequence of sin it's the function of sin that it destroys Did you know sin is the second most powerful force in existence? Did you know that? Even Satan will be destroyed by sin. And so when you allow sin into your life, it takes root, it takes mastery, it overrules and destroys. It's what sin must do. And so here we see that sin enters the world. And God speaks to the serpent as he's telling people about the consequences that, that they're going to face. And he says in, in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, on the dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there's an interesting verse in there. What is that talking about? Well, the word there, actually, he's talking about the offspring, the descendant. There's going to come from the woman a descendant that is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will strike the heel of this descendant. But the descendant will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. This is in the garden, you guys. This is early on in the scene. And all of a sudden, there's a prophecy about somebody that's going to come. And they're going to they're get, get struck in the heel. But overall, they're going to crush the head of the serpent. Nod your head if you're following with me. This is, this is early on in the story. And then you see, time and time again, you see this brought up. That there's, you know, the word, one of the names... That was very prevalent in that time was joshua actually the word yeshua and it literally means the eternal lord saves and so here's this word all throughout the old testament that god is the savior and you see him saving and you see him saving but there is a prophecy that's repeated over and over and over again all throughout the old testament that somebody's going to come and they're going to save the day Say that with me. Somebody's going to come, and they're going to save the day. Okay, yeah. Let's try it one more time, because that was pretty lousy. (laughs) One, two, three. Somebody's going to come, and they're going to save the day. And you see that all throughout Scripture. Uh, One of my favorite passages, and this is a haunting passage, is Lamentations 520. We don't have a lot of time to look it up, but, but in this passage... Jeremiah is facing the judgment of Judah, and he's writing these letters. He writes his book to Judah, and he he says, this is the judgment of God. This is what he's going to do, and it's too late for you to avoid it, so just accept it. And he writes the book of Lamentations, and it's a heartbreaking book, and how it ends is just hauntingly beautiful because you see the people of God personified in Jeremiah's plea and his prayer at the end of that book and he says God have you abandoned us forever is our sin too great have you abandoned us forever you might be sitting here and you think that what you've done is too big, it's too great for God to forgive. That's the book of Lamentations right there. God, have I blown it so badly that you don't care anymore? That you don't, you you can't salvage this, you can't redeem this, you can't transform this? You see, as a people, the nation of Israel They blew it so badly that God had to punish them so severely that hundreds and and thousands of years into their being a people God had to say okay I'm going to take you away from the land I promised you. It's gotten so bad that the only way to straighten you out is to let you become decimated to let you become devastated and have to go live as foreign slaves in an in a foreign land and that's what he did with the Babylonian captivity right do you remember that the story of Daniel Daniels all throughout that for over 70 years the people of Israel the people of Judah were living as prisoners and slaves in a foreign land and even in the midst of that time you see passages like Daniel chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar, he's literally the king of the world. He has a dream. Do you remember the dream? You guys nod your head if you're with me. Yeah, some of you remember. Some of you are like, I'm new to this church thing. I don't know. That's fine. This king has a dream. He's the king of the world, a very important guy, and he has a dream about a statue. And you remember it had, had the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver, right? It had the waist part of of, of of bronze and then the legs were of brass and then and, and then there was iron mixed with clay for the feet you remember that and and he's like i just had this dream and things are messed up and i don't know what the answer is and he got all his wise guys all of his councilmen all of his astrologers and he said what does this dream mean and nobody could solve what the dream meant except for this one dude do you know his name steve no. It was Daniel. Because he had the Spirit of the Living God and he came to him. And there was this, in the dream, there was this statue. It was so big and powerful. But out of nowhere, a rock came out of a mountain and rolled down the mountain and smashed into the statue. Do you remember this? Nod your head if you're with me. You could read Daniel 2 if you want after this, it's a powerful passage. And the rock that came out of the mountain is going to smash into the statue and completely obliterate it. And that rock would be untouched. In fact, that rock would begin to grow and grow and grow until that rock became a mountain. And and Daniel said, King, you know what this means? That rock represents the one true God. And he is going to establish a kingdom... That will destroy all other kingdoms of this world and his kingdom will have no end in fact it will ever increase and increase and increase in glory that's daniel that's in the babylonian captivity that's in the time of judgment in the time of pain where they're thinking lord have you abandoned us forever and he's saying, no, I'm going to come through. And so here's the, the heart and the people of Israel, and they're living in this, this world, in this life, in this expectation, and they're longing and they're yearning for God, their Savior, to come and save them. There's passages like Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Do you remember Isaiah 9, 6 and 7? This, this week I was playing Handel's Messiah for my, for my kid, and... Uh, It was funny because I started singing it for unto us a child is born. You guys know that? You're like, dude, are you really going to (laughs) sing? Hey, we're all friends here, right? And he's like, dad, are you just making that up? I said, no, no. So I played it for him. And I was reminded that this is written 700 years before Jesus was on the scene and 700 years before. And by the way, if you've ever heard of these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls, have you ever heard of those? Raise your hand if, yeah, I'm with you. There's these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls and there's these ancient manuscripts that were found in these, in these caves about 60 years ago. And they preserved these and, and, and they're actually at museums. They tour around the world. You can go see them from time to time they come to California. Now listen, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Are manuscripts and fragments of all kinds of ancient Hebrew texts many of them are the Bible but one of the oldest and one of the the best kept best preserved is the whole entire scroll of the book of Isaiah dated 200 years BC you can go and see it and touch it probably go to prison for touching it but you could theoretically and you can see this, this, it's dated 200 years before Christ even came, and it's this prophecy that says a virgin will conceive, for unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father prince of peace. Now imagine a Jewish person writing this to a Jewish crowd. And he's saying there's going to come a person, it's a son who will be born to us, that that will be given to us. And these are his names, what they will be. And then in Isaiah 53, we see it's a powerful passage, a wonderful prophecy of somebody who's going to come. And if I can just summarize it for you, somebody's going to come. They're going to be a a great person, but for no reason of their own, they are going to be punished and abused and murdered, not for their sin, but for our sin. And then somehow you could read it. This is a really accurate summary, okay? Somehow they're going to come back to life. And because of their life, they will be exalted, because their life and their death, they'll be exalted, and many people will be redeemed. Hundreds and hundreds of years, the people of Israel were looking for this, longing for this, yearning for this redemption, for this arrival, for this advent. Have you guys heard of the word advent? This is the advent season, right? The actual word Advent, you know what it means? A long expected or a, an eagerly anticipated arrival. And so here we are, Christmas time. I just think it's amazing how, for hundreds of years, even thousands of years, The people of Israel, they knew something was going to happen. God was going to do something. He was somehow going to come, and he was going to save the day. He was going to bring this person they call the Messiah. And that word Messiah is an awesome word that really actually means anointed one. And so when you say the word Jesus Christ, do you remember the word Jesus, Yeshua? you remember what that means? The eternal Lord saves. So the name Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ means the eternal Lord is the one anointed to save. Isn't that cool? Jesus the Messiah, it means that God is the one that's going to save. And that's what Jesus was doing. And I'm reminded of this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Can you turn there really quick? Just turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's in the Old Testament. If you've got your tablet or your smartphone, you just type in, find 1 Samuel. But if you've got like actual Bible, you know, like made of paper and stuff, you remember paper? you open up to the middle and just start turning left and you'll eventually find 1 Samuel. Okay, if you you see Judges, you've gone too far. All right? So here's this passage and there's this guy named Samuel. And God raises Samuel up and he is a prophet of the Lord. One of the first prophets in the people of Israel. Now this guy... Samuel for many years most of his life he leads the people of Israel and he does a pretty good job but he's got some lousy sons all right and so the people of Israel they come to Samuel and they say hey you know you're you're gonna die one of these days have you ever had somebody say that to you that's always refreshing to hear right hey you know it's getting close you're gonna die And they said, Samuel, we want for God to appoint to us a king. We want a king. And Samuel was really disturbed by this. And it says here in verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. And all that they say to you for they have not rejected you Samuel they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt to this day forsaking me and serving other gods so they're they're also doing this to you and go, God goes on to say now this is what a human king's going to do for them he's going to demand taxes he's going to take Kids and, and make them serve him, and he's going to take your livestock, he's going to take your land, he's going to take all of these things, he's going to mistreat you and mislead you, and you still want a king. And so Samuel relates that to all the people of Israel, and they say, yes, we want a human king. All the other nations have a human king. We want a human king. And so God, God allows them to do it. And Samuel goes and he finds Saul. Do you remember Saul? Then Saul doesn't work out so good. And so he, he raises up this, this guy named David. You remember David, David and Goliath and King David, the best king most likely that Israel ever had. Now here's the thing that's really amazing to me. It's kind of like a... Have you ever seen an artist or a, a, a painter, and you watch this painter as he paints? You guys remember Bob Ross back in the day? Remember Bob with that huge fro, and he's like, yeah, happy little bunny under this tree. You remember that? Guess what? Millennials love Bob Ross. I have no idea why, but he's one of the most popular things to watch on Netflix. Isn't that funny? Bob Ross. What a dorky guy from the 70s man it's just hilarious but he just you know he paints and he and you you watch people in their painting and have you ever been like confused and thinking what are they going to paint and you see what they're doing and all of a sudden they put like orange over here and you're like oh they just ruined the painting have you ever seen that i do that all the time you know when i see that i'm like "What? what is that gonna be that looks like a leg right there no, it's not a leg. It's a tree, or, or you know, and it's like you just watch it develop. But if you're just guessing from what you're seeing right now, oh yeah, that's probably a shrubbery. And no, it wasn't a shrubbery. It was some sort of light fixture, and you had no idea, you know. And you, have, you, you know what I mean? Nod your head. Nod your head if you're with me. Okay, you guys aren't really with me over there. Okay, that's fine. You guys were with me. I saw the nods. Thank you. You guys are now my favorites. Okay. But you see, with God, it's the same sort of thing. He's painting this, this massive, amazing masterpiece. And so many times he, he does a brushstroke stroke or he does something and we're thinking, oh, he's doing this. But actually, there's so much more meaning to what God is doing. There's multiple layers of meaning. And when God allowed Israel to have a human king and he was saddened because he was supposed to be the king of Israel, God was winning. Did you know that? In this passage we just read, God was winning. Because we see in Luke chapter 2, would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 2 the angel appears to Mary. And by the way, after Malachi, after the prophets, after basically Ezra, Nehemiah, there's 400 years of silence. How many? 400. How many years has America been a nation? I don't know, like 200 and something, right? 220 something. Some of you guys are really good with math. I don't wanna do the math, because it's like 17, it's an odd year. It's gonna be hard for me to do that. Anyhow, roughly twice as long as America's been a nation, there was nothing coming from God. There was no revelation from God. And the last words that you hear from Jeremiah just are haunting, and they resonate, and they ring throughout those 400 years. God, have we blown it too bad? Have you abandoned us forever? 400 years later, there's this young girl named Mary. And all of a sudden, God shows up. Could you imagine this? It says in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's another part of the story, but we'll not touch on that at this moment, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. (laughs) Can you imagine? It would would be very similar to like today. It's been been so long, right? It's been so long since we've had authoritative, amazing revelation from God and if he showed up in your life and said you know an angel some of us would handle it pretty well maybe other of us you know would maybe you know go find an insane asylum and check ourselves in but here's what happened Mary was confused and disturbed in verse 29 she was confused and disturbed Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean what are you what are you talking about that i'm highly favored by God, and the Lord is with me, we haven't seen or heard from God in hundreds of years. She's confused and disturbed because they've been expecting it and waiting and longing for, they didn't even know it was Christmas, but this Advent, they were waiting and longing for it for so long. And all of a sudden, I imagine it was just a surreal moment for her. Here's an angel from God? And this is happening now? And this is happening to me? In verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will, receive, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Which throne? The throne these people are asking for in 1 Samuel 8. Don't you understand? That's God winning right there. Jesus is the human king, where he's the human king that Israel wanted, but he's God in human form. He's God, the king that God wanted to be. That was always his plan. He was always going to win. These people didn't see it. They saw the small little brush strokes that they were sort of getting their way, and they saw the ruin and wallowing in their sin and their misery that happened over hundreds of years of rebellion against God. But here was God. In his plan, he was always going to be the king. He always will be. Jesus in human form. God in human form as the king of Israel, ruling on the throne of David. And it says, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. This is Christmas. For hundreds of years, these people were struggling, wallowing in sin, wallowing in the consequences and the pain and the judgment of sin. And then, here it is, finally, Jesus came. And you know what's interesting is he didn't look a lot like what they thought he would look like. Once again, God does things that we don't fully understand, but God has this exquisite sense of timing, doesn't he? How many times do you read this in the Scriptures when the fullness of time came? Or another way it's translated, it at just the right time. You see this in Galatians 4.4. You see it in Ephesians 1.10 and 1 Timothy 2.6 and 1 Timothy 6.15. That God is constantly, at just the right time, He shows up. At just the right time, He does these things. Jesus, when He walked this earth, often said, no, I am not going to do that because my time has not yet come. Or he would say to people, shh, be quiet, don't tell anybody what's happened to you because the time has not yet come. So here we are, like little kids, you and I, waiting for Christmas. Now it's got a deeper meaning, much bigger meaning than just a week from Monday. You see, you and I, we're waiting for something bigger than just December 25th, aren't we? I was talking to my wife last night, and she said, I'm just bummed. I said, why are you bummed? It's Christmas time. Everybody's happy now. And that's not true, is it? There's a lot of people that are, you know, suicide rate is just off the charts in Christmas. The holiday season is very difficult for a lot of people. But for us, usually it's a very happy time. But Nicole said to me, I'm just sad that it's going to be over so quickly. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought like that? You know what that is? That's the waiting for Christmas. See, when we're waiting for Christmas, what we're really waiting for is an Advent. We're waiting for something bigger, something that's gonna last longer than one day, aren't we? Every time we're angry, every time we're weary, hurt, afraid, dissatisfied, broken, defeated, discouraged, that's really our soul crying out for Christmas. And by Christmas, I mean Advent number two. You see, for thousands of years now, We've been waiting for Christmas. For thousands of years now, we've been waiting. We've been waiting. One of the last verses in the scriptures, actually it's the last verse in the Bible. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And then John says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. One of my favorite theologians is this guy named C.S. Lewis. I just love the way he, was just, he would take the big things of God and explain it in a way that a child could understand. I think that's true genius, by the way. And he said, if I find in myself a desire that no experience on earth can satisfy, the most logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We see this all over. Some of you are seeing it in, in your life where we find ourselves in a hellish situation. Prison, slavery, addiction. We see violence. We see fires. You know, our, 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 our church family in Santa Barbara, many of their properties are being threatened and, by this huge fire. And we see pain, we see fear, we see grief all over the place. And we're crying out and we're longing for God to do something. We're longing for this Advent because this next Christmas, the next time Jesus comes, guess what? It's going to last forever. This is what we're waiting for. I love the song in Handel's messiah it's very like well known the hallelujah chorus you remember but isn't this what we're longing for the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever we're in the middle of waiting do you guys like to wait i hate waiting I really hate it I don't know maybe I think it's the older I get the, the less patient I become which probably shouldn't be that way but I hate waiting I hate sitting in traffic I always need to know why are we sitting in traffic I need to know okay who's broken down or what's going on is there a twig in the road why are we sitting here I just hate waiting but there's one time I can think of where I enjoyed waiting have you ever enjoyed waiting I sure, I haven't done it much. I can only remember one time, and it was um, Pam's story. You'll remember this. She's got this great boat. It's called Pam's Promise. And when I was a youth pastor down in the Santa Barbara area with my wife, we, we would take some of our student leaders, and we'd take them up to Shasta Lake, and Pam would bring out her boat, and we'd just have a few days on the lake just growing to, closer together, and, and it was just an awesome time and one time we were on the houseboat and Pam was out there with the kids and she came back in uh, with the boat and, and and there was one of our youth staff that was out there she was a you know young college age girl like 22 something like that and she came back and she's kind of holding her face her name was Kelly and then there's this other kid Tyson he was a senior and you know one of our solid kids and Tyson's yelling out hey Kelly broke her nose I said, you can't tell that just by looking. She didn't break her nose, whatever. She comes into the boat, and I realize she's definitely broken her nose. It was going sideways. And so Nicole and I took Kelly, um, or actually Pam took us to her car, gave us her keys, and we got to drive her car. That was really fun. I drove perfectly the speed limit the whole way, I promise. We drove the, you know, uh, I, I always want to call it Reading Medical Center, because that's what it used to be. But uh, it's called Shasta Regional. That's right. We drove there, and uh, we, we got to the emergency room. She, she went in there, and uh, Nicole and Kelly went in to take care of her issue. And I was just sitting there for who knows how long. you guys like the emergency room waiting room? Anybody? No. And so I just started thinking to myself, well, here I am. I don't know how long I'll be here, what should I do? I had a cell phone back then, You had a cell phone. This was probably like 2010, something like that. And I went on a walk. I walked for a while, it was maybe five minutes, maybe six, seven minutes. Turned around a corner, and there it was. Oh, like glowing, Leatherbees family creamery. If anybody's been around Reading for very long, you remember Leatherbees. Do you remember Leatherbees? We are foolish as a city for letting Leatherbees go out of business. So outraged. If I had been living here when they went out of business, they would have never gone out of business. Okay, it's this ice cream place. Maybe the greatest ever invented. And their hot fudge is is literally, I'm pretty sure that'll be in heaven someday. And so there was leatherbees, and I thought to myself, what? No way. And I thought, well, you know, it's like four in the afternoon. They're probably not open. I walked in, and guess what? They were open. And I ordered like, this amazing Sunday. It was just ginormous. And then I looked on my phone, and uh, there was this thing called Wi-Fi that was pretty new. This, this place had it. And there was this thing called Netflix that was really new. And... It streams stuff to your phone. You could watch TV and shows and sports and things on your phone. This was all new to me. So Leatherbees, I had ESPN, I had Netflix, and I thought to myself, I could I could do this all day. <laughs> it's the only time I remember ever enjoying waiting, and you're looking at me like, dude, Ben, what are you saying? When are you going to land this plane? Right now. We don't know what's available to us. Right now, you and I, we're in a sense, we're in a time of waiting. We're waiting on God. And you might literally be in a situation this morning where you are waiting on God to show up. It might be financially, it might be with your career, it might be with your relationship, it might be a a marriage or a a child or something, and you're waiting for God to come through. We're waiting for heaven to invade earth, and we're waiting for this kingdom of this world to be transformed into the kingdom of our God. It's already here, but it's also not yet here, and we're waiting for God to physically and completely take over and be the God, be the king. We're waiting for Christmas and we're not aware what's available to us that's why we don't enjoy our time that's why we're not enjoying the waiting is cuz we we don't realize what's available to us jesus said over and over and over again when he was here walking on this earth he said the kingdom of heaven is here the kingdom of heaven is available And then when he ascended and went back to to his throne in heaven, he gave us his spirit. And literally what that was doing is, is lowering the bar. Now everybody has access to be a priest of God. Everybody has access to have direct connection with God through the spirit of the living God. We have that available. We have heaven available here now today did you know that you could experience heaven reality here and maybe it's just in glimpses but heaven is is here and it's coming so in the waiting as you're waiting for christmas please remember what is available to you heaven through the person of jesus and the spirit of the living god you have access to god he can guide you he can lead you would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me some of you are hurt some of you are angry angry Some of you are bitter. Your relationships are broken. And I'm trying to tell you this morning that even though we're waiting for heaven to take over someday, for Jesus to come back and make all the wrongs right, what I'm saying is God can do it today. You can experience heaven. You can experience redemption. You can experience transformation in your life, in your situation this morning. God can do it. And he wants to do it. If you're somebody who's sitting here or listening and you're saying, Lord, I think I've blown it too bad. I, think, I, I don't think you could ever redeem me in my situation. I am literally telling you, I believe God is speaking through me to you right now saying he wants to do that today. He wants to redeem your life now. He wants to transform your marriage today. He wants to end your anger today. Are you willing to bow? Are you willing to come before Him and say, Lord, whatever you want, I will do? Are you willing to give your life to Him? Whatever it is, if you need heaven in your life, if you need to encounter Jesus, He's here. He is coming, but he's also, he's here for those who believe. I love the verse, Psalm 27, very last verse is Psalm 27, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are waiting. But Lord, let us not wait in a frustrated, discouraged, depressed sort of way. Let us wait on you with eagerness and with hope, but also with a deep joy that we're seeing your power, we're seeing your, your, your work in our lives even now today. Lord, I don't know who's listening. I don't know their situation, but you do. Would you show up and come through for them in in exactly the way that you want to, Lord? Would you give us faith to understand you have a bigger picture, a bigger something that you're doing? In the gracious name of Jesus, we pray these things for your glory, God. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.